you have a Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, I would invite you to open to the Gospel of John, chapter 19. We'll be in verses 31 all the way through chapter 20, verse 10. This morning, the title of the message is simply, Dead, Buried, and Risen. And friends, today, that's what we have come here to proclaim. We've come here to worship Jesus because He has died, He was buried, and today, He sits at the right hand of the Father as a risen Savior. So again, if you have your Bibles and you've got them open to John chapter 19, we'll begin reading in verse 31. God's perfect and inspired Word says this, Therefore, because it was the preparation day that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who were crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. They did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who was seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you may believe. For these things were done that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again another Scripture says, They shall look on him who they pierced. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bring a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where He was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. Chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid Him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head not lying with the linen cloths but folded together in a place by itself then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also and he saw and believed for as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead then the disciples went away again to their own homes and so in this text, we again see those three things that we want to highlight this morning. One, that Jesus was dead. That when He gave up His Spirit on the cross, that His body physically died. Two, that He was buried and placed in a tomb and laid there for three days. And three, that He has risen bodily from the grave. That He is no longer dead. I want you to look with me again in verses 31 through 33. It says, Therefore, because it was the preparation day that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, 
the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. The first thing that I want us to notice this morning in this text is that at this moment in time that John is recording in his gospel that Jesus had died. In verse 30 of chapter 19 it says, So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. And it's important for us as Christians today, it's important for us as believers to know and to understand that at this point, Jesus had physically died. Again, because of Passover and because the preparation day is coming, the Jews go to the soldiers and say, we want you to break the legs of the people. This is a significant thing. It seems like it's something we could overlook, but it's so important. You see, they were going to break their legs because the other men were not yet dead. When you're on the cross and you're fighting for your life, as you've been hanging there for hours and hours, what you have to do is push with your feet and pull with your hands up so that you can take a breath. If you cannot push up, you cannot take in breath or let out breath, and eventually you suffocate on the cross. And so the Jews looking out at the men that were on the cross they want to make sure that they're dead so they can get them off the cross so that the Passover is not defiled. And so they ask them to break the legs. The Roman soldiers who were professional executioners go to the men and they begin to look at them and listen to them. They've been around them the whole time. They go to the thieves on either side of Jesus and they break their legs because they were still alive. But they come to Jesus and they don't break His legs. Why? Because He's already dead. You see, these Roman soldiers would have known how to tell the difference between a person who was alive on a cross and who was dead on a cross. And they saw no need to break his legs. The other thing that I think is important is in Exodus chapter 12, verse 46, God's Word says this, In one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. That's the directions for the killing of the Passover lamb that they would paint the blood on their doorpost as the death angel would come in. And so what we see is that this is a fulfillment of Scripture, but more importantly, we see that this is a picture of Jesus being the Passover lamb, that He would be the one who would spare us from death so that we can have life. It's important to know that every Passover lamb died. That the purpose of the Passover lamb was for it to die and Jesus therefore was dead. I want you to notice something else. Look in verse 34 through 37. It says, But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen and testified and his testimony is true and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. For these things were done that the Scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture, they shall look upon him whom they pierced. The first thing I want us to remember is that he had died. The second thing I want us to remember is that he had to die. This was an imperative and important thing in the history of the world and in the life of the church and in the person of Jesus Christ. He had to die. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, these words that are probably familiar to many of you. For the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Jesus had to die if his purpose on the cross was to pay the punishment that was owed because of our sin, the wage that he had to receive was death. There was no way that simply passing out on the cross was going to work. There was no way that simply being unconscious on the cross was going to work. Jesus had to die. If you notice, the soldiers did something in this text that they were not instructed to do. It says in verse 34, But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. This, in part, shows us again that he was already dead. His body had begun to change in the functions. His heart had stopped working, and therefore the blood and water began to separate within his body. But more importantly, friends, it tells us that Jesus had to die. You see, that blood that flowed from Jesus' body is our justification. It allows us to be washed white as snow. It's the blood that was shed to pay the penalty. And the water that flowed out is our sanctification. That which allows us to grow and to live and to be more like Him every day. And so, as those soldiers, not being told to, but doing it on their own, push that spear deep into Jesus' chest cavity, we're reminded that not only had Jesus died, but that Jesus had to die. And we praise God this morning that He did. Because friends, you and I are dead in our trespasses. You and I have no life outside of Jesus. We will continue in this life to pay that punishment that Jesus paid for unless we believe and trust in Him as our Savior. So the first thing, the simple message this morning is that on the cross of Calvary, Jesus died. Jesus was dead. The second very simple truth that I want us to be reminded of this morning is that not only was He dead, He was buried. We see that account in verse 38-42 through 42 of chapter 19. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where He was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. So the first truth this morning is that Jesus had died upon the cross because He had to die on the cross. The second truth that's important this morning is that Jesus was buried. And again, I know that it's easy to read over that, and probably many of you have heard that account of Joseph and Nicodemus doing that honorable thing that would have been gruesome and difficult at best. I can't imagine volunteering for the job of removing someone from a cross and carrying them to their grave. And yet, Joseph and Nicodemus did it. But I want us to remember this morning that this passage of Scripture, this text, is so important and vital for us as believers in Jesus Christ. Because at the moment that Jesus dies, what we see is that it is finished. Again, in verse 30 of chapter 19, Jesus cries out and He says, it is finished. And we talked last week about how He had finished the work of the cross, that He had drank the cup. But I want you to see within this text a very beautiful thing that happens in Jesus' life. 
The suffering of Jesus. We have been talking about Jesus being a man of sorrows in this sermon series. The sorrows of Jesus end. It is over. He is dead. But I want you to notice something else. You see, in our lives, sometimes there may be struggles, there may be trials, and our goal may be that they would just end. Maybe it's a sickness, maybe it's a mental thing, maybe it's an emotional thing, but we looked at these sorrows and we think, I just want this to end. And the good news is, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, because Jesus has went to the cross and He has finished the work, it will end. But I want you to know something else, friends. There's better news than that. You see, in this text, at this moment, there is a flip. There is a difference in what's happening to Jesus. He is the man of sorrows all the way to this point. Then Nicodemus and Joseph go to Pilate and they say, we want to take his body. It's granted to them. And at that moment, something changes. It's as if God looks down from heaven and says, no more. He will suffer no more. He will be defiled no more. He will be humiliated no more. This is over. This is finished. And from that moment on, Jesus begins to be glorified. You see, when Jesus goes to the cross, He's beaten and handled by pagan, unclean Roman soldiers. Everything that around Him is unclean. But from this moment on, only hands that are clean touch His body. From this moment on, He is no longer treated like a criminal. He is now treated like a king. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9, And they made His grave with the wicked, but with the rich at His death, because He had done no violence, nor was any deceit. In his mouth. Jesus was taken to this tomb that was purchased by Joseph, that no one had laid in, no unclean body had been laid in, and he is buried with a king. Now, you may be saying, wait a minute, doesn't everybody that dies get buried? Like that's what happens in our culture. Everyone that dies gets buried in some way, shape, or form. The answer to that question, friends, is no. If Joseph and Nicodemus would not have asked for permission to take Jesus' body off of the cross, more than likely what would have happened is the Roman soldiers would have removed it and they would have taken Him to a place called Gehenna, which is a burning trash pile. And they would have disposed of His body in the midst of a defiled, disgusting trash heap. And yet God says, no more. This is the King of the Jews. This is the King of the of the world. And so friends, this gives us as believers great hope. The first hope is that one day our suffering and the pain and the trials and the physical, emotional, mental things that go on within our lives that one day if we're a believer in Jesus Christ, they will be finished. God himself will say no more. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that there will be no more suffering, no more tears, no more death when we're with our savior in heaven but it also promises something else. That there will be glorification. That we will be like Him. That our bodies will be made anew. That there will be no more suffering. That there will be no more aging. That there will be no more sickness. And therefore, we will be glorified and made the way that we were intended to be before sin and death and suffering had ever entered the earth. 
Praise God, it was finished and the script was flipped and God said no more. Friend, today, if you're suffering, I want you to be reminded, I don't have a, a guarantee as to when this suffering will end, but if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, I guarantee it will. If you are a follower of Jesus, I can promise you that one day suffering will end. And at that very moment, glorification will begin. There will be hope. There will be worship. There will be newness of life like we've never experienced. Friends, this morning, Jesus was buried. And at His burial, He was glorified. He was shown to be a King. He was lifted high in the midst of His death. So the first thing that we see is that Jesus is dead. The second thing that we see is that Jesus is buried. And the third thing we see is the reason that we're here this morning, that He is risen. Follow with me again in chapter 20, verses 1-10 through 10, as we read this amazing text. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid Him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloth lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the Scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own home. And so there are a couple of elements that I want us to notice about this experience that Mary, and we know by harmonizing the Gospel, some other women as well, and then Peter and John experienced at the tomb. And the first thing is that the stone had been rolled away. In verse 1 of chapter 20, it says, And she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. We know that if we read in Matthew chapter 28, verse 1 and 2, this is how that happened. It says, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, and the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. I know it's been said many times, but it's worth repeating that the stone was not rolled away so that Jesus could get out. The stone was rolled away so that they and ultimately we could see in. If it was needed to be rolled away that Jesus to come out, then it would have been recorded that Mary and the other Mary would have seen Jesus walking out. But what we know is that Jesus had already left the tomb. He had already exited. He didn't need the stone. And yet, because God desires that we know and believe that we serve a Savior is risen, He has rolled the stone away so that we could see in, so that we could know and declare that our Savior is alive. The second thing I want you to notice is found in verses 5-7. through seven. John and Peter have come to the tomb. They have come running. It says in verse 5, And he stooping down and looking in saw the linen cloths lying there, and he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, 
and the handkerchief that had been around his head not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. The second thing I want you to notice are the grave clothes. So what we have are one set of grave clothes that are laid out as if someone had just walked right out of them or set up right out of them. They're laid right where they were and there's no body in them. And the other part of the grave clothes, the handkerchief that would have been over Jesus' face is laid over by itself, folded up. And so what I want us to realize is this. Mary thought that someone had taken or stolen the body. When she runs back to the disciples, she tells them that they have taken our Lord. But the reality of these grave clothes debunk that theory. In fact, that's a theory that still goes on today. It's a lie that was made by the Pharisees, and it's one that's still believed by many today. But here's the logical thought about that. Grave robbers don't remove grave clothes. In fact, it's believed that it would have been almost impossible for them to remove them without completely shredding them because of the amount of spices that were placed within them and they would have stuck together on Jesus' body and they would have had to destroy them to get them off. Not only do robbers not remove grave clothes while still in the grave, the second thing that they don't do is they don't fold the handkerchief. There's no robber who's going to say, hold on a minute, before we take the body, let's fold this up just right and set it over here by itself. Robbers are there to get in and to get out quickly, and so they would never, ever do that. So there must be some other explanation for these grave clothes. The explanation is this, Jesus has risen from the dead. But I want you to notice something about this. I believe that these grave clothes show us something important about the way that Jesus was resurrected. First, we see that He was resurrected in a glorified state. The grave clothes, the things that would have been wrapped around Him, the strips of linen that they would have wrapped, are laying exactly where they would have been when Jesus was laying there. And so when Jesus' heart began to beat, when His lungs began to work, when life began to flow back into Jesus, He simply set up out of the grave clothes and they laid right where they were. We know this happens with Jesus many other times. Almost every time after this that Jesus comes to visit the disciples, He doesn't open the door. He just comes in. There's no record of the door opening or someone knocking. Jesus is just there. Why? Because He is glorified. But here's the other thing. Not only is He risen in a glorified state, but He is also risen bodily. Jesus sets up out of his grave clothes, but he also takes the handkerchief off of his face and he folds it and he sets it aside as only one who had a real physical body could do. We again know that this is backed up by Jesus coming to his disciples as well. If you remember the story of Thomas who doubted and Jesus says here, feel my hand, touch my side. And so it's important for us to know that Jesus first was resurrected in a glorified state, but He was also resurrected bodily. And so now we have these things. We have the stone rolled away so that the people can see in. We have the grave clothes there proving that Jesus was not stolen and yet He was resurrected. But I want you to take you to one other Scripture. Look what it says in verse 9 of chapter 20. It says, For as they yet did not know the Scripture that He must rise again from the dead. You see, in verse 8, it almost looks like Peter and John believe that He's resurrected. 
In verse 8 it says, Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. What he saw and believed was that the body was gone. He had yet to understand. When it says that they did not know, it doesn't mean that they had not heard, but that word know means understand. And so we see that even though they believe that the body is gone, they do not understand what has happened to the body. I want to submit to you, friends, that there is more evidence in the Bible than just the fact that the stone has been rolled away and the grave clothes are there that Jesus has been resurrected. First, there is that physical evidence of the grave clothes and the stone. Second, there was verbal evidence. In Luke chapter 24, verses 4-6, through it says this, And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments, Then, as they were afraid, bowed their faces to the earth and said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how He spoke to you when He was still in Galilee. And so they have these angels who say, He is not here, He is risen. They completely and utterly debunk the idea that His body was stolen. They say, He has resurrected from the dead. Don't you remember what He had told you before. So they had verbal evidence. One from the angels, but two from what Jesus had said before to them when they were in Galilee. Third, they have spiritual evidence. Mark chapter 16, verses 5 and 6 say this, And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in long white robes sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But He said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid them. It's not a small thing that God would send angels to speak. There are times scattered throughout Scripture where God sends an angel to speak. And every time He does, it's a really big deal. He wants them to know and to understand clearly that Jesus is alive. And so there's physical evidence. There's verbal evidence. There's spiritual evidence. And there's also scriptural evidence. Psalm verse 16, verse 10 says this, For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. That's the verse they didn't yet know. They didn't yet understand. And yet they didn't get it. And some of you may be saying, well, I don't think we should end the sermon like that. Right? He's dead, buried, and alive, and yet no one believes it, and no one knows, and no one understands. Here, is the good news, friends. Here is the beautiful thing that happens in our lives. Here's the truth of the thing. No one, and I believe this with every ounce of my body, no one has ever believed that Jesus has been resurrected from the evidence even though the evidence is absolutely clear. No one has ever looked through the Scripture, looked through history and said, oh, well, I guess I must believe because the evidence is there. Even though it's clear, even though it proves that Jesus is alive, they don't believe. But the good news is these people, Mary and Mary and Peter and John and others, all did believe. And here's how they believed. They believe because Jesus personally came. Jesus does not want us to put our faith and trust of Him because of some sort of physical or verbal evidence. He wants us to put our faith in Him because we have had an experience with Him. Because our hearts have met Him. Because we personally can know Him. Every person that believes in Jesus' resurrection until the time of Pentecost and Peter begins to preach believes in Jesus because Jesus had a personal 
conversation with them. Whether it be on the road to Emmaus, whether it be in the upper room, whether it be in the garden with Mary, whoever it is, every one of them, Jesus came to them personally and said, look, I'm alive. He showed them His hand. He showed them His side. He spoke to them. In the case of Mary, He just spoke her name. And she recognized who He was. You see, friends, today, you could make a large list of evidence as to why Jesus was dead, buried, and resurrected. But the truth of the matter is, no one comes to a saving faith in Jesus unless the Holy Spirit has called them and brought them to that faith. And I believe that this morning, the Spirit of God, in a way that only He can, may be doing that in your life. May be calling you from death into life. May be calling you to put your faith and trust in a resurrected Savior. The Bible says that we are saved by grace through faith and not of works, lest any man should boast. There's supposed to be an element of faith to believe in Jesus. There's supposed to be a personal call on our hearts to believe in Jesus. I'm thankful that God didn't just spell out the evidence in the Bible and say, okay, if you can understand it, you understand it. And if you can't, you can't. But that He sent the Helper, the Spirit of God, to come and to speak in our lives and our hearts so that we can know Him.